0: Excellent, excellent choice for the finishing up of this series. Great to see you again. Still haven't found a baby, although I did find some people who wanted to have their older child dedicated because they are big babies, but (laughs) we'll just let that go. Today's the last day for the fruit stand. We're wrapping up. You really are disappointed? That's cool. Wrapping up the Fruit of the Spirit series, and it's the last day you're gonna see the fruit stand. My wife has worked with children probably for 50-plus years, and obviously is our children's pastor here for the last 24. She loves kids for a ton of reasons. One of the reasons she loves kids is they are so flat-out honest. I mean, they'll just tell you everything. Some things you want to hear, some things you don't want to hear. Last Sunday morning, we were standing here, and there was a young man that stood here and was looking at the fruit stand and kind of trying to figure out which ones were the real ones and which ones that weren't. And then he looked at me and said, Pastor Denny, don't you think that should say God's fruit stand and not Denny's fruit stand? So, my young friend, we finished out the series on God's fruit stand. What else could I do, right? (laughs) You know why? He's right. You know and I know there is nothing like fresh, off the vine, sweet, juicy fruit. I mean, it's just different. I mean, it may look the same, but you know as well as I do that picked somewhere green fruit that was transported for who knows how long, sitting on the shelf of a store for who knows how long, isn't quite the same. I mean, there is just nothing different. Nothing unique about it, but something really different and something special about fresh fruit. When we travel back and forth down south, we always stop at the Virginia Fruit Market. I mean, there's just nothing like it. Acres and acres of just fresh everything. They make the best apple cider donuts I've ever had speaking of which which is going to sound extremely self-serving last sunday morning somebody handed me a white bag didn't know what it was gave it to somebody else who i gave it to my admin who put it in my shelf i took it home opened it up two of the best donuts i've ever had in my life so if anybody knows where they came from (laughs) just saying right isn't there something about fresh Now, we've all chosen to live in Pennsylvania. Unless you're visiting here today, we've all chosen to live in Pennsylvania. And you know as well as I do, at some point, fresh is going to run out. Now, I love fall. I mean, it's probably my favorite time of the year. I love the the coolness in the air. I love everything about it. I love the transition of leaves. The only thing I don't like about fall was winter's coming behind. But other than that, I love fall. But you know as well as I do, after a while, you can't get fresh pretty much anything. But what we've been talking about over the last number of weeks is fruit that never runs out of season. God's fruit actually gets better with maturity. There's just something about it. It's not only the freshness of that, but the longer you're walking with Jesus, the better you are. And the better you become. There's just something about, you're not what I used to be. Thank God for that. I'm not what I need to be, but man, I'm on a journey And when you walk with people who have been on that journey and you have watched them in that journey becoming more and more sweet and tender and loving and joyful and patient and kind, it's just a fascinating thing to watch. That's exactly what God's been saying in this journey together. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But we're on a journey, and the longer we're on this journey with Jesus, the more like Jesus we want to become. And for those who really are living life by the Spirit, the more like Jesus you are becoming. And it's obvious, not just to yourself, but for the people around you. We've used a very familiar section of Scripture out of Galatians chapter 5, where Paul is essentially saying to them, look, you guys started out so well. I mean, you fell in love with Jesus, you knew he really was the truth. You've got to remember, he's writing a brand new, out of the box, just saw Jesus die 20, 30 years before that, believer's. And they've come out of this old regime of rules and regulations. And now all of a sudden they're finding freedom in Christ and everything that he promised, not only forgiveness and grace, but the power of his spirit. I can't stay here. I'm going to go back to heaven, but I'm going to send you my spirit. And if you fully embrace him, he's going to help you to live a life that will blow your mind. It'll be amazing, and you'll continue to grow in Christ. And the longer you're on this journey, the more like Jesus you'll become. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'll give you everything you need for life and godliness. I'll give you the power of my spirit to do that. And they're moving along on this journey. Then all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, we're not always sure why, something happened. And they started to go back to the old way of life. And Paul said, what happened? I mean, who got to you? You started out so strong and now you're going backwards. He talks about what it was like in those old days and what they used to be like and all the things they got rid of and all the things that he wants them to get rid of. And and then he comes to this profound and powerful section of Scripture and says to them, now look, let me describe to you one more time what life in the Spirit looks like. Not like those things. You got rid of that stuff. And now that you're walking with Christ... And by the fruit of the Spirit, there is something that is obvious and evident out of that. You love. You got joy. You have peace. You have forbearance in some translations, patience in others. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. You're not what you used to be. You've set that all aside. You died to that. You put it away, and now you're walking with Christ. You've done all that. The flesh is who you are inside, that old nature, that who you really are. Now that you've done away with that, you've embraced Jesus as your Savior, he begins to live out that life through you and in you. You put that aside. Since, there's the assumption, right? Since we live by the Spirit, keep up with the Spirit. Don't run ahead of him. Don't run behind him. Don't always try to catch up. Run with him. Keep in step with the Spirit. Don't go sideways. Don't run ahead. And don't run behind. Keep up with the Spirit. This morning, over the last few weeks, we've, even though we said it was fruit singular, we've been pulling them apart one at a time. This morning, we're going to start, start with goodness. Now, when you think of goodness, you obviously think of what? Being good. It's like every parent who dropped that little child off to the babysitter and said to them very clearly and as nicely as I know how, be good. Right? You wanted them to be good. I love that advertisement. I'm not even sure what it's for. Where the Mom has a very brand new baby and she's interviewing the babysitter who has a master's degree in something in the first child. By the third child, you can't even remember where she went. Here's the baby. Good luck. God bless you. <laughs> and those of you who are raising children, multiple children, you ever notice how many pictures you have of the first and how few pictures you have of number seven? If you have number seven. Every time you drop that baby off at the babysitter or the babysitter comes to the house and you're ready to walk out of the door, what do you say to that little one? Be good. And what do you say to your children the very first time you leave them at home alone and you're going somewhere, what do you say to them? Don't burn the house down. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't burn the house down. Yeah, my daughter's hanging her head. Didn't burn the house down, but did catch it on fire. (laughs) While we're all the way across the country. And you really want them to be good. I remember one time, you know, he always said, be good, don't have any parties, all that stuff. And, and while we were away at one particular point, one young man decided this would be really funny. And while they didn't know it, he took cans and bottles and put them in every nook and cranny of our house, in every cupboard in our home, so that when we came home from that vacation and happened to open up the cupboards, bottles and cans started to fall out. And of course, we didn't do that like everybody else says. We didn't have a party. And to be honest with you, they didn't. This young man came over a couple of days later and said, was that funny or what? (laughs) I said, not really. (laughs) Not really at all. What Paul is saying, be good, is true. Make good choices, do the right thing. He's saying it in contrast to the first part of that when he said, now that you're a follower of Christ, you've got to get rid of some stuff. Get rid of immorality and impurity and hatred and jealousy and rage and drunkenness, and be good, be pure, be moral. In a world that is extremely immoral, make good, very good choices. Now some of you will say, "Well, I'm not immoral. I don't participate in idolatry, but you may have some jealousy. So what Paul is saying is all of that stuff, all of that junk, now that you're following Christ, you've got to get rid of all of that. You've got to make really good, solid, right choices. Now some of you will say, well, you have no idea the pressure out there. You have no idea what it's like. You have no idea how hard it is. Pastor, you live in a bubble. You're working around Christians all the time. You're hanging around Christians all the time. You work with good people. You have no idea what it's like. You have no idea how hard it is out there. Like I grew up somewhere in the 1980s or 1800 or in Mayberry RFD. And most of you don't even know where Mayberry is. And you know as well as I do that when I hear things like that, I say to them, well, I just need you to know there is a Greek word for what you just said, and it is baloney. (laughs) In Hebrew, interestingly enough, it translates the same, baloney. In English, still the same. Yes, I do know how hard it is out there. Yes, I do know the pressure we face. I do know how difficult it is for many of us to send our kids into the world of unknown. I do know how hard it is to work beside people who have absolutely no desire for godliness or truth at all. I do know how hard it is to be with people whose language is so overwhelming you find yourself not even sure how to speak when you walk out of that and have to cleanse yourself. I do know what it's like to have the pressure of somebody else pushing you and asking you. I get that. I just need you to know, it really is a choice. In the book of Daniel, God put Daniel and his three friends in one of the most wicked, incredibly immoral environments in the world, and it says they chose not to sin. Key verses in your sermon notes is Daniel 1.8, one of my favorite verses, one of the ones I embraced when I was in high school. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. It is possible. Is it hard? Oh, my goodness, is it hard. Absolutely is it difficult, but it is possible. Now, instead of using the word goodness, I think a better word is integrity, and I'm going to use that all the way through here. Kind of fits better to the meaning and understanding what I think Paul is trying to get across here. The best definition for integrity is in your notes, deciding to integrate my heart values into my daily actions. Deciding to integrate my heart values, what I know is right, what I know to do, what I know is truth, into my daily living. And the key word to that in your sermon notes is deciding. Deciding. You and I don't accidentally slip or fall into sin, it is a decision, it is a choice. We don't accidentally slip or fall into sin. It is a decision based on a variety of circumstances, based on so many difficult things that some have faced in the past, and now they're so overwhelmed with all the circumstances around them. They make bad choices that get them deeper and deeper into the process. Some psychologists will say it's a disease, others say it's a choice, and, and we can argue both till the day Jesus comes back. But I'm telling you, in so many cases, it really is a choice to start down a track or start down a journey that after a while you cannot get out of. But it almost always, in every single situation, starts back here with a decision to make a wrong choice, to take a wrong thing, to drink a wrong thing, to make a bad choice, to watch something I shouldn't, to listen to something. The list is endless. It begins with a choice. Now, many times the sad part of that is then it so rewires the brain in so many ways. And we can do studies all over the really wonderfully found studies. But it many times begins with that decision to go this direction. God places high value on integrity and making the right choices when things come my way. Better is, in Proverbs 28, better to be poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he may be rich. God says that integrity is a lot more valuable than all the stuff that you and I think is valuable. First Chronicles 29, I know, my God, that you test the heart and you're pleased with integrity. Researcher George Gallup does a lot of research and kind of has a, a pulse on some of the things that he sees going across the country probably for the last 20, 30, 40 years. He said, one of the things I notice in America is the incongruent values and lifestyle. In other words, what we say as Americans we want or what we seek and what our actions show don't always line up. Let me give you an example he said. If you poll Americans, they would say that materialism is not really that important, but they sure seem to want a lot of things. If you talk to a dad, he would say, I really want to spend a lot of time with my children, but they don't. If you talk to a couple, they would say, I really want to have an intimate relationship with my wife and I want to share and understand one another, and have conversation on a regular basis. Just don't. He said, as I look across America, one of the problems is what we say and what we do aren't always consistent. Now, many times we face the frustrations of not doing what we want to do and know it's right. And I get that. Paul, I, one of the thousand things I love about God is how honest he is. And so in Romans chapter 7, Paul describes his own journey. Instead of us thinking this man is perfect now that he came to faith in Christ and lived it out completely and fully and never wrestled with anything, he says, hey, I lead you to know, I get this. I wrestle with some of the same same things. I wake up in the morning and the very thing I don't want to do, that's what I do. And the very thing I really want to do, I can't seem to do. And I continue to go through this vicious cycle of the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things that I want to do, I don't. But then he has an answer when he said, who can save us from this vicious cycle? And then he says, I've got the answer, is Jesus. I don't have to live like that. Will I be perfect in it? Not at all. None of us are. But I don't have to live in that vicious cycle constantly. I've got a God who loves me, a Jesus who saved me, a spirit who guides me, who indwells me and allows me to live the light that God's calling me to. I'm not always what I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Those who see someone who is in sin, Paul said, restore them gently and be very careful that you're not next when you think you have it mastered. Integrity is a foundation for a great marriage, a great business, to be a good neighbor, to be a great friend. It honestly is the key to all great relationships. It provides in your sermon notes protection. Proverbs or Psalm 25, may integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. It provides security. Number two, the man of integrity walks securely. When I do premarital counseling and I have the couples in there and I talk to them about all the things that they're going to see and embrace and changes that's going to happen to them and all those things that are about to happen now that they go into marriage, and I say to them, there are some things that you want to make sure that you have in this person that you want to spend the rest of your life with so that you're not wondering. And one of them is integrity. That you're marrying a person, a man or a woman of integrity. And that integrity provides security. So that you're not always wondering, why hasn't he come home? Who's he with? Who's the next person in line? Am I the first? Is he really what he says he is? Is he really doing what he says he is? It provides an enormous amount of security so that you're not wondering about that hot girl that just came into the office or that hot guy that's now in the mill or wherever that may be, that you're absolutely certain that this person who says they are yours will be yours with all the choices around. And if you marry a person like that, man, you've got a wonderful journey ahead of you. But it provides an enormous amount of security in a relationship. Guidance Proverbs 11, the integrity of the upright, will guide them. To have integrity, you've got to do at least three things. Number one, speak honestly. Speak honestly. Ephesians 4.15, one of my favorite verses, speak the truth, but in love. Mark Twain said, look, speaking honestly is so much better. It takes a lot of stress out of our lives. You see, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. But if you tell the lie... You've got to remember everything you said because it only compounds itself as life gets longer. Now, Ephesians says you've got to speak the truth, but it needs to be done in love. I have some people say, well, I just tell it like it is. Well, that's okay if you're doing it in love. It's not okay if you're not. Proverbs 27, it's a wonderful heritage to have an honest person or an honest parent. In this case, this says an honest dad. I think it's the character of a father that molds our children, not as accomplishments. Dad, if the world never knows you and never reached a high profession or you never owned a business or never accomplished anything the world says you should accomplish, but if you're loved by your kids, you display the fruit of the Spirit, real, genuine character, and you're a person of integrity, I want you to know something. In your children's eyes, in my eyes, and in the eyes of God, you are a success anybody ever tell you different? It's a sad day when we climb the ladder of success and sacrifice the real values of our life. The key to walking in Jesus' path is to walk the talk. I've been blessed to have a dad who lives it out. 91 years old, had the opportunity to be there with him this week for a variety of circumstances, and I love the fact that this guy really has, for 91 years, lived it out. Came to faith in Christ way later in life, and uh, we didn't start really understanding the gospel until I was 12 or 13 years old. But once that happened, it changed literally everything in his life. And he lived it out every single day of his life. A couple of years ago, I was working with a group. Dad had his church out there for an event. And this one guy was helping my dad do something. And, and my dad turned around and said to him, I just need you to know I'm not the man I used to be. And Jim said, yeah, but you are the man I want to be. And I thought, oh, my lands! I should have said that. I'm the son. <laughs> I thought, what a great line. Where a 90-year-old guy could say, I'm not the man I used to be, but somebody would look at him and say, but you are the man I want to be. I want my kids to say that. Confess regularly. Confess regularly. Live with a clear conscience. It's all out there. Everybody knows. No secrets when I talk to couples in the premarital context, I say to them, before you get married, tell them everything. And most of them look at me and everything? Yeah, everything. Past relationships, past bad choices. I mean, just tell them everything. Some of you may take 10 minutes, others maybe take 10 days. Doesn't matter. Tell them everything. Then they always ask me, why? Because then I say to them, because they're going to find out. I'm just telling you, I've been in the world long enough to know. They're going to find out. And let me tell you what the very next thought they're going to have. You know what it is? What else don't I know? If I didn't know that, and this is the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, what else don't I know? I found this poem somewhere. I love it. To keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup. When you're wrong, admit it. When you're right, shut up. you go. Pretty good. James 5, admit your faults to one another and pray for one another. There's a principle in in confession and forgiveness called restitution, which means if I've done something wrong, I need to ask for forgiveness. But not only ask for forgiveness, do everything I can, if possible, to make it right with someone. For some of us, we need to go back in a week. For some of us, maybe for years. But to get things right, which Brings an enormous amount of freedom when the past is cleaned up. Number three, live consistently. And they all flow together. I speak honestly. I confess regularly. I live consistently, which means my public life and my private life are the same. Nobody has to wonder. Psalm 101, I walk in my house in the integrity of my heart. Those who are closest to you should know you're the same both in public as they see at home. Your sermon notes, those who know you best should respect you the most. Those who know you best should respect you the most. Why? Because our words and our actions match. That what we say and what we do is the same. We make statements with our mouth that we live out in our life. Which is one of the definitions of faithfulness. I keep my word. I stood there and said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. And I meant that. I really did. And the more funerals that I do now than weddings, especially of older couples, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a beauty to see it lived out. And now to say to them, look, you had no idea what you disagreed to when you got married, but now that you've been married 40, 50, 60 years, you know exactly what you agreed to. I just don't say anything publicly because I know it's going to burn me when I didn't say about somebody else, but Charlie Erick, who used to work in our church family here as one of our custodial staff, passed away yesterday. One of the most delightful men I've ever met in all of my life. Every single person that knew him loved him. You can't say that about everybody. Everybody loved him. His biggest concern in life was her, not him. Who really did understand what faithfulness looked like. People should see who we are. They should recognize that. They should not have us to tab to tell them. Our response to the world was never to be isolated or insulated, but to saturate, to make it better. These walls that you and I are in right here are meant to protect us from the cold and keep us dry in the rain, not to isolate us from the world around us. You realize how powerful that statement is? The walls here were meant to keep us cold, warm when it gets cold and dry when it rains, never to isolate us from the world around us. Or to never to isolate or insulate, but to saturate and make the world, because of who we are, better. The last one is self-control. Probably should have shared it on Labor Day, because it's one of the ones that take the most work. Galatians chapter 5, Paul does a great job of contrasting what it's like for a person who lives for themselves and a person who now lives controlled by the Spirit. One who was a non-believer, who did their own thing, who was only living for themselves, and now one who's living for Christ. He describes in verses 19 to 21 people who are out of control, and then he describes those who are spirit controlled You see the contrast of that? Which is why it flows that way. (coughs) John Maxwell in his book, Developing the Leader Within You, said this. The first victory that successful people have or ever achieve in life is the victory over themselves. See, once they become self-controlled, they become victorious in other challenges of life. Now, the word self-controlled in Greek means to get a hold of, to get a grip on. In this context, get a grip on yourself, to recognize that a man without self-control is as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. Proverbs writer said, the moment we lose self-control, we're like a city without any kind of protection. Somebody said, well, I don't like the word self in here, and and I get that and understand that. Because we, but the problem with that is we just say, okay, God, you do everything, as opposed to taking responsibility for the changes we need to make. Anything uncontrolled in our life will harm our relationships. Scripture talks about a number of them uncontrolled anger, uncontrolled tongue. James spends half a chapter talking about that. Uncontrolled lust will cost you everything, uncontrolled ambition. There was a great line that I found just a couple of weeks ago. I think it was in A Daily Bread. C.S. Lewis, who said this. Sin usually starts with some pleasure. And once the person bites, it gives less while enticing them to want more. Now listen to this line. It provides an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure until it gets the soul and gives nothing in return. That is a profound statement. Once we take, once we choose, once we look, once we act, once we do that. And they all start with pleasures. I mean, we can lie to our kids and say sin isn't fun. It is. It almost always starts with a pleasure of some kind. And the reason it does, because we want more, because we think it's so nice or wonderful or cool. And then all of a sudden, the enemy pulls everything back, shows it what it really is. And now we're hooked on this and we can't get free. It provides an ever increasing craving for an ever diminishing pleasure until it gets the soul and gives nothing in return, which is why Paul said, you gotta get a hold of yourself and not do that. D.L. Moody was asked one time of all the people who've ever met in life, who gives you the most trouble? His response? D. L. Moody. Mark Twain said, if you get kick in the pants, the person responsible for most of your troubles, you wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. <laughs> the person you and I most need to concentrate on is ourself in this journey. And the best time to do that is now. The best time to start walking in the Spirit is not tomorrow, but now. Because we're always talking about someday. I, yep. Man, I remember that remember sermon a couple weeks ago, but I, I, I need, yep, I need to do that. But did we? Let me ask you something. How many of you have a great idea in the shower, and by the time you dry off, you forget what the idea is, and usually don't implement it anyhow? The problem was saying, tomorrow, I'll do that. Good grief, at this stage in my life, I can't even remember what it was. Over the last number of months, I've got to believe that the Spirit of God has said something that needs to change. And the bigger question is, what was the it? The question is, what did we do? Characteristics of self disciplined, self controlled, spirit filled people are these they accept responsibility for who they are and what they need to do, they accept responsibility for who they are and what changes they need to make. I read a story of a psychologist who interviewed 600 inmates and he found it's amazing. Some of the most innocent people on earth are in prison. Wasn't me. I didn't do it. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of time when Adam and Eve sinned and God came to Eve and said, what did you do? And he said, wasn't me. It was a snake. And went to Adam. wasn't me. It was her. Always blame it on the wife. And then he went to the nth degree and said, well, by the way, God, and you gave her to me, so somehow it's your fault. We live in a society where something happens and somebody makes horrible choices. We have a number of people to get through to come at them and to try to figure out to somehow justify this horrible decision they made. You can't even start a relationship with God without saying, I'm a sinner, need a savior. I'm not perfect. I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus. You can't even start a relationship with God without admitting that. Take responsibility. For who I am to also take responsibility to live up to our potential to use what God has given us to use our talents our days our moments to not waste them uh, I'm not going to debate this at all I'm just saying it was fascinating to listen to Tony Dungy's snippet Antonio Brown to simply say you are so gifted just play football and use your gifts Secondly, they're self-disciplined. They welcome accountability. They welcome accountability. Plato said, an unexamined life isn't worth living. When we do communion, every time we do, we'll do it in a couple of weeks. Paul said, look, before you take the bread and the drink the cup, you better look inside and make sure. John Wesley, years and years ago, before every single Sunday school class, used to ask these questions. What known sins have you committed since we last met? What have you done about it? What temptations have you faced? What would you do about that? Has God delivered you from it? And have you lied about anything I just asked you and you just said? Accountability. It's not a new thought. We thought it was something that came out of the 80s and the 90s when everybody started accountability groups and small groups. Been around for 100 years. Secondly or thirdly, they develop integrity. They live what they teach. They live what they believe. They live what they say. They're willing to be transparent. Well, the major emphasis over the last few weeks has been developing godly character to be Christ-like. There's a translation that I found somewhere that states this same thing that goes like this. People's desire is to make them give in to immoral ways. Filthy thoughts, shameful deeds, worship idols, practice witchcraft, they hate others, don't get along with anybody. They argue and cause trouble, they're envious, they go to wild parties, they do other things as well. And I told you before and I'm telling you again, no one who does those things is going to share in the blessings of the kingdom of God. But God's spirit makes us, and he's speaking to us, God's spirit makes us loving and happy and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful, gentle and self-controlled. And because we belong to Christ, we've nailed those selfish feelings to the cross. And God's spirit now has given us life. And because of that, we should follow that. So, what have you done about what you've heard? Fruit stand goes down, fruit goes away. I hope you've enjoyed the series, but this really isn't a movie to enjoy or a book to enjoy. It's scripture to be applied. I hope you enjoyed it, but this is way more than a sermon or a series to be enjoyed, but scripture to be applied in our life. And and that really is the bigger question. This morning as we finish and wrap it all up, what I'd love for you to do is just listen to the Spirit of God. When John wraps up Scripture in the book of Revelation, he said we've got to listen to hear what the Spirit says to the church and obviously to us as individuals as well. So if there's something the Spirit of God has been saying to you about what you need to do, I'm just going to say, then respond to that. would love for you to do it visually. Nothing magical or mystical about this, but sometimes it's so easy to say, yep, I got to do that. I can do that when I, I don't want anybody to see. I don't want anybody to know. And, and we leave. And it's just too easy to do that without visually, honestly, just simply saying, there's some stuff I got to do. So in just these next five minutes... I'm going to give you a couple minutes to listen to the voice of the Spirit and then to sing the absolute perfect song Lord I need you every hour I need you we'd love for you to come up and pray somebody can will come and pray beside you if you want to just pray by yourself just say hey I'm okay that's alright but it's so easy to walk out and not make any changes when I need to make them today Father, this is your place, your word, your truth, your spirit. So we ask you that you have freedom to speak.